Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, a new budget forecast came out for Minnesota today. So earlier today, I had a chance to sit down and visit with the chairman of the House Tax Committee in Minnesota. He's also a teacher, Representative Paul Marquardt. We talked about distance learning in Minnesota. We even bring in producer AJ and get a little bit of uh, her story, what's happened with her family with distance learning. It's a very, very fascinating conversation here with Representative Paul Marquardt. Representative Marquardt, welcome back to Point of View. Um, you're a teacher, so I really want to have you on tonight. We're going to get to the new revenue budget forecast that came out, but also just about the schooling aspect. In a moment, we're going to bring in producer AJ. She's got a story just within her old household. She lives in Moorhead that I want to have you hear from her, and maybe we can come up with some ideas on how we can do a better job of um, getting our kids taught and, and do some of the things that parents are looking for as well. So I want to go through some just some quick data with you and then ask you some questions. So this is some information from Moorhead right now because Moorhead now has gone to strictly distance learning. And I'm gonna put this into some easier numbers to digest for us, but according to Moorhead Public Schools, students with COVID is 0.39%. Teachers with COVID is 1.75%. So if you can just sort of keep that information in mind. And then according to the Minnesota Department of Health, you can see here um, through the entire pandemic, we've got, and this is unfortunate, zero to four, but zero deaths of kids um, five to 19. So I guess the question is, we're gonna to get to this with producer AJ, but why distance learning based on that data? You know, the school districts, you know, I said right from the start are gonna to have to be flexible and patient. And, you know, we we use a lot of data, but you're, you're right. I mean, the data shows that uh, certainly there hasn't been a lot of students or necessarily all that many teachers actually infected. But one thing we've noticed is that if a teacher has been in contact with someone, they have to quarantine for 14 days. And a lot of times when schools have been going to either a hybrid approach or a distance learning approach, it's because of a shortage of staff that is having to quarantine. And you know they can maybe do this from home on a distance learning, but they can't be in person. So a lot of it isn't necessarily the students, whether or not they get uh, infected or not, but it's the staff. And, the, and one thing that we have huge problems with is getting substitute teachers to come in. Many of them retired teachers, they're elderly, and I don't blame them. They don't want to necessarily come into a school district uh, that have, has a lot of people. So with that being said, two things in one, if you don't mind, and if you want to disclose your age, great. If you don't, no big deal. But as you being a teacher, how concerned are you about the possibility of getting COVID? Well, I'm 63. And um, I mean, you're always somewhat uh, concerned, but I mean, you, you take the safety precautions. And I think that's what schools are trying to do is certainly err on the side of caution with students and staff and so forth. But you know, we're required to wear masks. Uh, we're looking at social distancing, even when we have the students in class. Uh, where I teach at Dilworth, Linden, Belton, the elementary is in person, but middle school and senior high has kind of gone back and forth between the hybrid, where you've got half the students actually in the classroom in front of you and half on the screen on a computer to distance. And there's no doubt if you can have all the students in front of you in person, as a teacher and as a student, everyone knows this, that's the best way to go. But uh, it's it just, it's not an easy situation. And I know you can look at the data and so forth, but 
you know, if you get someone on a team, for example, uh, that gets infected, uh, as a school board and kind of a, as school officials, you're going to just play safe with that right now until we get the vaccine. You know, we've got what? Hopefully, only another. I don't know, two to six months with all of this. I know everyone's getting a little antsy, uh, but once we kind of get through this, things things will change. How much, there's some people that are suggesting that part of the reason there's such a pull to go to the distance learning is because that's what the teachers' unions are fighting for. Is that true? I don't think it's a teacher unions fighting for that. I will say there's a number of teachers that are concerned about uh, their health and safety. Um, but uh, I don't know if that's driving things. Uh, I know school boards and leaders want to keep the kids in school as much as they can. And, uh, and they're doing that. You know, for the most part, when Governor Walls set this up for schools, they said, you know, we're going to allow this to be local control. We're going to use some data, but we're also going to allow this to be local control. So it is your local boards uh, making these decisions ultimately and again, when people are in charge, whether or not you're the governor or you're a legislator or you're a school board or a superintendent, you're going to err on the side of caution. You always do in situations like this because you, you don't know how this is preventing things. But if things really got just totally out of hand and something just erupted at a school where you had something serious, um, you know, people would be there, uh, you know, pointing fingers. So you have to be you have to be cautious on all of this. I think that's fair. I just don't know where the data shows that there's a huge transmission happening in schools. And we have the CDC director, Robert Redfield. Last week, he's got a pediatric background. He's on the White House Corona Task Force saying, hey, schools are the safest place for kids to be. I want to bring producer AJ in, in a moment. But before we do that, just because I, I want to focus on the kids and we're going to get to the family unit with her. But coming out of St. Paul, you know, distance learning, 40 percent of St. Paul kids have got failing grades because of the situation. So I guess at what point do you find the balance and go, look, the data's not really showing this huge contagion or transmission in schools, kids are failing. You're gonna hear from Anna in a moment about the families. I mean, wh where's the balance? And I'm gonna bring Anna in on this as well, but just where's the balance? Well, Chris, that's a great point. I, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, we know in a distance learning, the education is not as good. I mean, you can do it, well, you're not the face to face. I mean, it, it, I can certainly see that. Um, so it, you, you've got to balance everything. And again, you, you've got to look at the, the safety of folks and the kids and the staff and, and the community overall. But it's not an easy deal. And I've talked to a lot of parents uh, who, you know, they have a, children who have special needs. And that's really difficult. They can't have the in-person every day. So I I understand it. As a teacher, you want the kids in class. Uh, it, it's just kind of a tough situation. It, and we're in a one out of a hundred year. This is a 100 year pandemic. We don't have practice in going through this before to kind of look back at how all this has happened. So we're kind of blazing new territory as we make a decision on each and every day. Yeah. I want to bring producer AJ in, uh, Representative Marquardt. She shared with me kind of a story today that Really pull to my heart, so I just want to let her share, and then you guys can chat, and we'll go from there, okay? Yeah. Thank you so much, Representative Marquardt. So I have two children in Moorhead Public Schools, and I have a baby as well. 
My two children are under the age of nine, so they're in separate grades, which means they have separate schoolwork. They were each sent home with a bag full of papers, books. We have gym supplies in there, musical instruments that I'm supposed to be able to teach them or my husband. Uh, we're just not prepared for something like this. As a result, we're very stressed out. The kids are stressed out. Every single person in my household has cried the last two days from frustration. I have a five-year-old who's having all these terms thrown at them about computer stuff that they don't understand because they have such limited exposure. And all of a sudden we're trying to teach them their ABCs or colors or different things on the computer, which is extremely hard for them. So my biggest concern is with my kids. That being said, where policy comes into play is that I have myself and my husband, we're a two income household. Because we've gone to distance learning, we're a one income household. He's working maybe five hours a week because between COVID and the new distance learning situation, he can't work more hours at his job. He doesn't have more hours available because people are canceling things all over the place and he can't find a new job. So we went to apply for unemployment. And what we found is while it does recognize COVID issues, it doesn't recognize that you can't just take on another job because you are providing full-time instruction. So one thing that I would recommend maybe for our lawmakers when they're considering policies for this situation is to include something that helps families where they have the next six, eight, months worth of having to stay home because they're teaching their kids. What we're seeing is a huge gap between wealthier families who can afford to have someone help tutor their kids and come home and they can have, you know, their income is safe. Whereas poorer impoverished families or even middle-class families are having to give up an entire income. We're going to see a huge number of evictions a huge number of people who can't pay their mortgages. And if anybody's been paying attention to the housing market, you would know that housing this year has gone crazy. People are building, people are buying, and all of a sudden things are shutting down again. Like we're building a house and I don't know that we're gonna be able to afford to complete it because now we're down to one income. So I would love to hear your thoughts on how we can bridge that gap. But more importantly, what do we do about the mental health crisis with our kids? How do we help them understand that ideally this is a short-term situation? They'll get to see their friends again. They'll get to see a teacher again. They'll have somebody that cares about them in a school environment that's gonna help them get to the next grade instead of just dropping them, which is what it feels like we're doing right now. You know, I think everything you just brought up is probably the main reason why a lot of school districts continue to do in person as much as they possibly can. I know uh, where I teach at Dilworth Glenfeld, you know, K through at least five, fifth grade has been in person. And, you know, part of the big reason I think as they try to keep that is dealing with just the issues that you're mentioning. And well, one thing we've learned about the COVID-19 pandemic, it, this is not, doesn't treat everyone equally. As you mentioned, there are different segments of our populations on businesses, people, on incomes that are being impacted very different based upon their family situation and uh, their work situation. And so I, I don't have any answer, but I think the suggestion that you make is that 
I think as policymakers, we have not recognized what you're bringing up, some of these where you're a double income family or even single income, but now you're home having to you know, care for your child and also lead them through the educational process. There needs to be some sort of compensation there. And, and again, so much of this is new. I mean, we're facing something that, I mean, we're on Zoom right now. And I, you could have told me nine months ago and mentioned the word Zoom, and I wouldn't have known what it meant. But now almost all of my meetings are on Zoom. And so it's just all of these things that have taken place. But families are going through lots of struggles. It's mental health issues. It's child care issues. It's income issues. It's employment issues. And um, it, it's difficult right now. There's no doubt. And you you laid it out perfectly. But I... I, I wish I had a, a, a good answer for you, but it's it's we're adjusting as we move on. Let me ask you this, Representative Markworth, because I, I think you're right. Anna brings up just some incredibly, I think, a lot of challenges that, that that people are dealing with right now. And so, again, I think if if the data showed, hey, it makes sense to do the distance learning, I think everybody would be like, okay, I get it, but it's not really there. So here's my question. Today, we come out with this new budget forecast, shows a $641 million surplus that's a good chunk of change. How how can you guys use that to help Anna's family or other families across Minnesota? What's your plans with that? Well, that's great. And that this was pretty good news, actually, as far as the budget, because we had a deficit. Well, we've got $640 million in this budget that we can use for one-time funding, which is just what we're working on right now, is a relief package for businesses and individuals. And they've been talking about $350 to $400 million. So it would throughout the businesses that have been hit the hardest by the recent executive order, restaurants, bars, fitness centers, uh, entertainment venues, and looking at grant dollars that kind of bridge the gap uh, until we kind of get out of this. We're also, although we haven't specified how we're going to do this, is also looking at uh, individuals who are finding this very difficult also. So that is in the works. Um, uh, all the governor and the Democrats, Republicans announced the working on this last week. We're hoping to have something within the week or two weeks at most to actually have something done and starting getting money and dollars out to folks to help bridge this gap until we get this vaccine or we can move and get back to some sort of a new normal. Is, is there something you can do where you can just do it like a direct payment like the federal government did into people's accounts in Minnesota? Well, that would probably have to go through unemployment insurance. That's the only way I know you could do that individually, other than some sort of a rebate plan. But for businesses, yes, we can do grants as we've been doing and the feds have been doing throughout this pandemic. There's just grants that can go out. And I think that's the best way for businesses is to get those dollars out right away because businesses have these fixed costs and rent and utility uh, inventory and these type of things that just a month or so can be a make or break for them. So we've got to get those dollars out quickly. And I would recommend as well, while I did appreciate the first stimulus payment that we got from the federal government, in the situation we're in now, if we're looking at another six or more months of having to lose an income, a one-time payment is not going to cut it for Americans. We may have to be looking at amending unemployment so that that's an option you can select is that I'm a full-time caregiver now. Well, that's right. And we need the federal government to step up because uh, as states, we actually we have to balance the budget. So we only have so much. In Minnesota, we've got a bit for this budget, but actually into the next budget, we're in a deficit. But the federal government, 
they're the ones that can really provide the power on this as they did before. They can literally bring billions of dollars into the state. Where we're talking maybe three or four hundred million right now. The feds can bring billions in and be a huge difference. But you're right. I mean, we've got to address all of these factors, Anna, that you've mentioned here. Thank you so much to Representative Marquardt for his time and insight there. Hopefully there's going to be some kind of package program to help families uh, across the great state of Minnesota. All right, stay with us. Earlier today, I had a chance to visit with the chief medical officer at Essential Health about the vaccines, distribution for COVID-19, and much, much more. Stay with us. As always, please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back. 